It's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yes. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. I asked a question of my Facebook friends to see if they'd be interested in an episode about gifted and talented children, and they were there were some very vocal uh, responses about the gifted and talented programs and who's considered gifted and talented. And so um, they they confirmed to me that yes, they did want um, a program or an episode about that. So according to the National Association for Gifted Children, there are a total of three to five million children in grades K through 12 that um, that need gifted and talented services. Children who are GT, as they call it, don't often present as most would imagine typical high achieving children do. So it sometimes can be difficult to identify them. GT programs have been criticized for not being accessible to certain groups of kids. Further complicating this, uh, matters, no blanket definition of giftedness exists across states or local education agencies. Gifted children are uniquely wired and the programs available to them have the potential to nurture the brightest minds among us. So let's just take a little quiz. If you're out there listening, which of the following do you believe is true? Gifted children usually get straight A's in school. Gifted children are often teacher's pets in a classroom. Gifted children have exceptional executive function, it's organization, time management, executive skills. Gifted children tend to be natural leaders, all of the above or none of the above. So if you answered none of the above, you're correct. I had a friend who was a mom who mentioned on Facebook that she pursued it and she eventually gave up because she was really just unsure of the benefit of having her daughter in the program. So I hope that this episode demystifies GT students and GT programs for you and gives you some info and help to have you help you advocate for your child. Before we go any further, let me just say that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show or hashtag I am School Days. And also, we do want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any comments or questions, give us a call at 214-431-5062. So without any further ado, let me introduce my guest. Holly Nasky is in her 23rd year of education after beginning her career as a third grade teacher in West Dallas. After nine years in Dallas and a master's degree in educational administration, she moved back to her hometown of Irving to make an impact there. After her first year, she was asked to take on a self-contained GT classroom. After that, she was involved in curriculum development, graduate hours and gifted education, and campus building community or committee leadership. After teaching GT at the secondary level, she took on the role of academic specialist in the middle school before moving into her role of 
PK through 12 gifted advanced academics coordinator. Holly is also the secretary for the leadership resource committee for the Texas Association of Gifted and Talented. Finally, she's currently parenting two very gifted individuals at home. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming. So let's just jump right in. Tell me what the definition of gifted is. Well, there really is no standard solid definition. But in summary, it's students who perform at or show the potential for performing at a remarkably high level of accomplishment when compared to other kids of the same age, experience, uh, and environment. Okay. So I think that's a real important part of most definitions mm-hmm. is it's not just performing at a remarkably high level. It's performing at a remarkably high level in comparison to other kids like them. Gotcha. Tell me what are some of the gar- characteristics of gifted children? Um, I would say hashtag intensity. <laughs> um, they can be intensely curious. They can be intensely emotional they can be uh, intensely creative sometimes um, for certain things that they want to do. Not everything. Right. Um, they definitely um, have a propensity for language or they'll have a propensity for mathematics. Mm-hmm. Sometimes both aren't there. They're either highly verbal or highly mathematic. Every once in a while, you'll get kids who are gifted in all areas. Um, but typically, it usually runs one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, they're... One of the things about gifted kids is that they have very much um, overexcitabilities. So that's the kid who takes the socks off the minute you stick them in the car seat. Can't stand the seam on the socks. That's the one who can't stand tags in their shirts. Thank goodness they don't have to really live through shirts with tags on them like we right. did when we were growing up. <laughs> um, those are kids who they're either super, super happy, like jumping up and down, flapping happy, or they're super sad, like it's the end of the world. Mm. And it really wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're also highly imaginational. So even for their age, so that's when you have the 14-year-old or the 15-year-old who still likes to watch Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and knows all the different uh, shoot-offs of that series. I have one of those at home. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so very imaginational. But then there's also that goes with some of that is um, fear of the unknown and things like that, and they perseverate over things like that. So there's really, you know... High academic, you know, pursuits, creativity, but then there's the overexcitability side of that. And how are they socially? Socially, um, they can be really awkward unless they are with their same like-minded intellectual peers. Mm -hmm. Are they more introverted? Well, um, research shows that 67 to 70% of gifted individuals are more introverted. And what that really means is that the way they get their energy and the way they develop ideas is in solo flights of thought versus mm-hmm. sort of group think water cooler kinds of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of my gifted teachers will tell me that they are not introverted because their classrooms are a constant buzz. But it's a constant buzz about intellectual things, not necessarily social things. Right. And they're probably not going to be wanting to talk about what, quote, normal yeah. kids What's or your favorite typical color? kids are talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They're one. They're deep thinkers. They're very deep thinkers. They're in their head all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the difference between ac- high academic achievers uh-huh. and GT kids? So a high academic achiever is always achieving, always working hard. That's one of the things. A gifted kid is not always working hard. So high achievers need six to eight repetitions to really learn and master something. Gifted students need one to two repetitions, and they've got it. Okay. Uh, high achievers need a more teacher-led environment, where gifted kids need a more student-led environment. Uh, high achievers will do exactly what's asked of you, and GT kids have their own ideas about what they want to do and how they want to show their learning. Okay, yeah. And they're probably motivated by less externally. Yes. Uh, GT kids are yeah. than they are internally. High achievers are motivated by grades. Right. GT Parents. kids, not necessarily. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do GT kids develop? Are, do, are they ve- developing kind of in sync emotionally and socially? And, you know, like they're going to be on the same level in different subjects or... They do not, they develop, they go through the same developmental stages, Mm -hmm. but there are things that what's called asynchronous development, where cognitively they are well developed above where their peers are, Mm -hmm. but socially and emotionally, they can be much more immature than their peers. This is where you have a kindergartner with 133 IQ who knows that geysers and icebergs are sources of water, unlike other five-year-old children, <laughs> but who also throws temper tantrums and things like that, like you would expect of a three-year-old, mm-hmm. but they just turned five. Mm-hmm. So we were talking before the show, there's so much contro- controversy. It's kind of a hot topic right now. GT mm-hmm. is, and um, you know, you, you were talking about how some parents really want their kids to be in the GT program, yes. um, because it, you know, I mean, honestly, it looks great if you've got a gifted and talented kid. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> is gifted, giftedness something that you can prepare your child f- to become? Or is it innate? Like, can you pass? Can you prepare your child like, before they go to kindergarten? And they're, you know, already reading chapter books or what? Well, maybe not chapter books, but they're reading oh, at high at high levels before they get to school and things like that. Can you prepare them into th- giftedness? <laughs> I think that early exposure to sort of the school academic environment um, does help to a certain degree because they'll show some crystallized knowledge that kids who haven't had school before will show right however when you start looking at most districts require a test that measures potential for high performance uh you can't really prepare your kids for that it's a way Mm -hmm. of thinking it's the way the brain is wired um i've had kids sit down with me to take a one-on-one test and then tell me that they have been doing those exact tests with their parent over the last month only to not really not pass it not yeah not (laughs) Not even be close to the mark that you're kind of looking for. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, but I do think giftedness can be developed. That's, okay. Talk about that. So, just like sports, 
you have kids who have sort of this ability to do baseball really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have kids that have ability and potential to do school really well and show some signs that they would benefit from that environment. I do think that you can develop that talent in those kids. I've seen kids go from not qualifying for gifted, being in a gifted classroom, and by the time they went to middle school, they qualified for those services. So I really do think it could be developed. There's two schools of thought in gifted. One of those is, is I identify everybody who's gifted, and then I create this program for them. Or you develop a program, and you identify kids for whom would benefit from the services that you provide. Okay. So what is tested when you identify students? It depends district to district, state to state. Okay. You have some states like Ohio who say you will give these tests and these must be the scores for them to qualify. Um, You have some districts who only measure ability. So, you know, the potential nonverbal intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, You have some districts who do use just achievement. You have some districts that use the state test. You have some districts. <laughs> the state test? Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah. I've seen a few of those where they looked at the STAR test or our state test to determine if the child was qualifying. And, of course, if you use that definition loosely, that they perform high in comparison with other kids of the same age, environment, um, and experience then you could, you could use a state test, mm-hmm. but state tests are criterion referenced. So there's a ceiling. You have to get so many correct and you'll make, you know, a passing score. Right. You'll make a hundred. Right. And you don't need to have above average intelligence to make a hundred on a star test, really. So right. um, we've had people on that said that the state test does not even uh, is not even indicative of your um, college readiness. Oh, it's so, not, not at all. Yeah. So that's not at all. So but bizarre to me that they would use that for. Yeah. Some districts qualifying. do. And in some districts, it's like it depends on the school, which uh-huh. one they use. Okay. If they use an achievement test, which is nationally normed or whether they're using their star score. What are the reasons why there is not more. um more, I guess, legislation or whatever about what we need to do to test children? Is it because they're so different? Well, from one another? Yeah, different states are really about, most states are about local control. Uh Uh-huh. And so it's very site-based. And it all depends on how are you going to serve gifted. So if you're going to do it academically like we do in Irving, then the way you identify needs to look at different academic measures. Mm -hmm. So we look at aptitude or like intelligence. We look at achievement. How are they performing currently? And then if both of those are high, they qualify. If only one of those is high, then we look at performance products. So we have like a portfolio process. What's that? So that's where you give kids um, activities in which they demonstrate fluency, flexibility, and originality of thought. Okay. And so you give them actual math activities and they write their own word problems. 
You give them some math problems and they use a variety of numbers to perform different operations that would be indicative of that grade level. If they could do all of those correctly, they could probably actually do it on paper but not do well on a test. So the state says, Texas says that you have to look at at least three different measures. So if is there a chance that they could not do well on the testing, they're not doing well academically, and then they're passed over because of those two things, but they still are GT. It's probably not likely that you're going to miss them over those two things. Mm -hmm. Typically, they're either close on one or, in, or if they're far away on both of them, there's something that's either potential shows up or academic achievement shows up. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like if one of those shows up, then we need to look at what, how do they actually perform. Um, sometimes you can use inventories with teachers and staff looking at that child. Do they do some of the gifted behaviors more often than not? Okay. So... There's lots of different ways to identify gifted kids. I asked this because, uh -huh. um, and you and I were talking before, yes. my son was in the second grade last year, and they gave all the second grade students in his district a test for GT. And I didn't hear anything, so I assumed he didn't qualify for GT. But, you know, just in researching for this show, um, I know that, it, at least in the state of Texas, it says that you've got to... Um, test them in, in multiple ways. Is that correct? Yes, okay, multiple right. Multiple different. Um, so my son is high functioning autistic, and he's gifted in art and math. And I wonder if he was possibly overlooked because all they did was the assessment. And he did not yeah, if they only meet the levels on the assessment. So okay, you're not in that group then. Yeah. But so what if he was not testing well or I mean mm -hmm. it, he particularly was having a, a hard time that was when we were figuring out yeah he had yeah. a lot of issues mm -hmm. at that time and so I wonder if you know he's been passed over um, erroneously because mm -hmm. he did not do well on this test there are a lot of districts that give a screener and yeah. it's a one-time thing and they screen everybody and it's one test and they'll look at that test from which to pull kids uh -huh. to do further testing for gifted. And that's just, I mean, that's just what some districts do. Mm -hmm. Every district has something different than they do, you know. So what do you do if you feel like your child really does qualify for GT, but they took that test and they weren't testing well that day or for whatever. The kid didn't care about yeah. the test. You know, well, that, that could happen too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what do you do if you're like, wait a minute, I think he really has so potential here. So parents are always their child's best advocate. And mm -hmm. I always say, ask questions. So what I would have asked is I would have asked, how did he perform on the screener? And what was the cutoff for the, you know, for the test? Um, are there any other measures that you look at besides just this one? Mm -hmm. um, and if they say yes, we look at some other ones. You can always appeal. So all districts have an appeal process that you have to go through if you feel like that decision was an error. Mm -hmm. But districts are now required to communicate the results of those tests. Mm -hmm. So, Is there an age that you should wait until for them to be tested? No, every kid is a little different. Mm -hmm. um, now in the state of Texas and a lot of other states, all kindergartners have to be screened and considered for GT placement. 
Um, because we have a lot of parents who just don't know about gifted, so they will probably right. wouldn't refer them. Um, so we look at all of our kindergartners, but it's all different. It just depends on the child and how they're developing. I have some kids who come from other countries. Uh-huh. And so there's that whole thing that's going on in the brain. Um, it takes them a couple of years to get caught up. And then once they're caught up, they're just gone. Mm-hmm. We had a little girl who came to our district in seventh grade from uh, El Salvador, I believe, somewhere in Central America. Mm-hmm. And by ninth grade, she was number one in her class. Wow. That child was gifted, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Um, so it's just one of those things It depends on the kid and it depends on where they're at. Some kids really hit a streak about fourth or fifth grade mm-hmm. and it really starts to show up. Got it. Mm-hmm. Who's qualified to conduct, conduct this testing? Uh, usually you have GT specialists in most districts in the state, um, because it's a pullout model. They have somebody who can, who can test them. A lot of counselors do the testing as well. Um, some tests that you can use can be diagnostic that te- the kids take on the computer. So mm-hmm. we were talking before the show. We did a lot of talking we before did. the show, didn't we? we did. <laughs> For sure. Uh, um, how are teachers that are not teaching GT classes trained to identify? Because one of the things that they, at least in our district, is teachers refer mm-hmm. kids for GT. But how do they even know what to look for? Um, GT awareness sessions are pretty much required um, across the country for all teachers. Um, and now in the state of Texas, it is a requirement. It used to be it was like, if you did that with all of your teachers, it was kind of like an exemplary mark. Now it's considered compliance. Um, All teachers need to know what GT is, what it looks like in the classroom, um, what the research says about GT. Um, I have a lot of teachers who have gifted students in their classroom that either move in or are developing quickly. And they want to hold on to them because they are just the bright spot in their day. And those kids are not getting the services that they need. They're Mm. doing a lot of sitting around and waiting on the rest of the class to catch up. Right. So it's real important that our teachers, if they have an inkling or suspicion that a child is gifted, that they refer them. Mm-hmm. Is there a cost to this testing? Is it all incurred by the school or does that depend on the school in the district? Do the parents ever have to pay for something? Um, school districts have funding from the state and part of that funding has to be used for testing. Mm-hmm. So school districts provide the testing. Okay. If you are coming from another state, and you said that you, that one student was coming from another country, uh-huh. if you are coming from another state and you were in GT programming there, mm-hmm. do you have to be retested or do they take paperwork or whatever? It depends on the service design. So mm-hmm. everybody has a different service design. So you can have where you just pull out. So you have kids that you pull out for 30 minutes a week, two hours a week, a day a week, um, and it's a lot of enrichment. Um, or you could have programs that are self-contained where all the students in the room are GT and are receiving services and acceleration, or you can have tiered services. So like in Round Rock ISD, they have tiered services where some of the kids are pulled out for part of the day, but then there are kids who are also pulled out and they're third graders who go to fourth grade for math. So oh, they're also okay. accelerated. Accelerated, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it depends. If they come from a district and they have recent testing, sometimes we look at that testing and they can go right into a gifted classroom. Because there's something comparable. Compar- where you something are. comparable, nationally normed mm-hmm. that you can be like, oh yeah, we can they we definitely qualify them with these scores. But every student who comes into Texas still has to meet the requirements for whatever that gifted program is. Okay. What is the goal of a GT program? I mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. my friend was like, I don't, I, I'm not even going to fight this because I don't <laughs> understand what the point of this, like what, what's my kid supposed to get out of it? So mainly the goal of a gifted program is for students to demonstrate skills and self-directed learning, thinking, research, and communication. So it is much more of a student-centered environment. Um, they're all expected to do in the state of Texas and most other states some kind of research and to develop some kind of innovative product or um, some sort of like sophisticated performance. Um, It's like 21st century skills. So that's really, that's the goal of gifted education is to provide that for those kids because gifted kids really require sort of this exploration of their own thoughts I mean, because they are the kids who are going to develop medications that you or I will need in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, They're the ones who are going to be doing new kinds of research and things. And so they're, you know, like the kid you were telling me about that put his computer together and took it apart three times. Like at schools really need to provide that kind of environment for the kids mm-hmm. at least part of the time. So to expand their ability to think at these higher levels mm-hmm. um, so that they're, cause they'd be stunted in regular classes. Uh-huh. All of that sort of creativity, critical thinking, communication, all of that development would not be happening mm-hmm. in a gen ed setting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the focus on gifted ed is project based. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on mastery of skills at sometimes if they have gaps, but usually above grade level. Um, so those are kind of the focuses. But that research and that sort of delving into something deeply is something that gifted kids really, really need. Is there also some social emotional learning that happens with them? There is. Um, Gifted kids, a lot of things come really easy for them. And one of the things that you really have to teach gifted kids, and Dr. Karen Zesky talked about this all the time, was to teach kids how to fail successfully. Mm, Yeah. Right? That it's okay to fail. Failure is it means that you're learning. The sort of sense of discomfort and disequilibrium means that you're learning. Uh, A lot of gifted kids have a tendency when it gets hard to shut down and just be like, I don't get it and I'm not going to do it. And now I don't want to even think about it because that's too difficult. Right. So it's very, um, they're having to learn grit that they have to learn grit. And the only way you can get a kid to learn grit (laughs) is to find something they're passionate about. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I was watching a Ted talk before I came here and, um, this woman is gifted and, you know, she was identified as such when she was a child and now she has three gifted kids as well. And just her care, talking about the characteristics of these students was, um, interesting. 
and just they're, you know, just so introverted. And um, she even said at the beginning of the TED Talk, she said, I am gifted. And it's really hard for me to say that. I feel like it sounds arrogant uh -huh. for me to say that I'm gifted. It's true, but uh -huh. I feel like it makes other people feel some kind of way. That's my term, not hers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so do you guys have um, kind of opportunities to talk about those things? Because they're with other kids that are like them. But when you are with other kids, that's where the problems probably come in. You know, the funny thing about gifted kids is that they know they're different. Yeah. They know they are and they don't know why. So I always tell the story. I taught middle school GT and I had a bookshelf that was in my classroom that I just inherited. It was there. And for state testing, I turned it around and on the back, it said property of the special ed department. And right below me was the life room. And so the kids were all like, you stole that bookshelf from downstairs. I can't believe you did that. You know, I was like, no, well, technically, gifted education is under the special ed umbrella. Mm -hmm. It is special education services. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? what are you talking about? And so I showed them the bell curve. And I showed them that over here on the left side of the bell is where the guys downstairs are performing. You guys are over here on this side of the bell performing. And as much needs as they have down here, you have some of the exact same needs. Interesting. And I had some really quirky friends in that class period, which is why they asked the question. Um, and one of them just looks and she says, that explains so much <laughs> thank you for telling me this uh-huh because they don't get themselves because yeah. they, they see themselves as they they see other kids and they're like okay i'm totally not like that yeah but where does that put and me i don't care about anything they care yeah. about, and yeah yeah and they're all yeah they're all a little different and they know they're different and they don't know why and they and they may not accept that they're different uh sometimes you know our gifted girls, fourth or fifth grade, it's not cute to be smart. Mm -hmm. It's not cute to be smart. Um, we have a lot of kids for whom uh, African-Americans, it's too white to be smart mm -hmm. and to be in that class with those kids, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's cultural as well. There's a lot of controversy about the gift and talented programs being exclusionary mm -hmm. and um, specifically African-American and Latino students have been passed over a lot mm -hmm. in, um, in these, in these um, situations. What are some of the reasons for that? And what, what are GT programs doing to make sure that they're not lost? Um, I think some of the reasons for it is teachers don't refer some of those students mm -hmm. because either if they're Latino, it's a language issue mm -hmm. or they're not communicative. They're too quiet. Mm -hmm. um, our African-American students tend to ask a lot of questions um, like why, which can be seen as disrespectful. Right. Um, they like to do a lot more teamwork versus doing things uh, in solo flights of thought. So the way they operate in the classroom looks a little different. They excel at teamwork kinds of things versus doing things independently. Um, there's a little, probably a little bit of leadership that goes in there with that as well, which in a classroom, leadership is sometimes not so welcome and great and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I think it's the test that we give. 
So a lot of tests that you give, they'll say that their aptitude or they measure intelligence and they're not measuring crystallized knowledge, but they are. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the tests that you're giving. Nonverbal tests really seem to cast the widest net on underrepresented populations. Right. Um, so w- we utilize nonverbal testing, um, but also local norms help a lot. So if you have a cutoff, if you want the top 5% or the top 10% of your students, look at a test all of your students took. And then see where's that percentile for the top 10% or the top 5%. Because it's not going to necessarily be the 95th percentile for your particular district. It may be the 80-something percentile was the top 5%. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at local norms as well. And then uh, Dr. Scott Peters has some things out like the HOPE scale, which really forced teachers to look at a particular student compared to other students like them. For example, a student who lives in a low socioeconomic environment who's only been in this country for two years. So in comparison with other kids like them, do they do these sorts of behaviors more often or less often? Okay. And so it really f- gets them to focus on that student in comparison with others. And that's how they're identified mm-hmm. as possibly GT yes. to receive the testing. Yep. How do you decide if those are high achievers versus GT? That's when you look at the other measures like potential performance mm-hmm. achievement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a t- statistic that says black students are three times more likely to be identified by, uh, by black teachers. Why do you think that is? I think because cultural norms of behavior in the classroom sometimes are uh, more readily accepted. Um, mm. They are more, I don't know, more in tune with how they express themselves mm-hmm. and the things that they do that another teacher might not be in tune to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found that uh, students that were being issues for a particular teacher a lot of it was they were asking questions and the kid was absolutely right. And the teacher forced him into this one way of thinking. Mm. And they don't do that. Mm. And that's okay. So there's more than one way to get to the airport from here. There's more than one way to get to the correct answer. And uh, I think teachers, teachers are accepting of that. So, and that's unfortunate because that's kind yeah. of the whole point of the GT program is these kids think differently. Yeah. And they're, um, that the point of the GT program is to nurture yes. the difference of thinking. Yes. Yeah. And not be um, so uh, penalized for it. Yeah. Sometimes it's seen more as a behavioral issue. Yeah. And not that it's a gifted behavior. Right. Let's take a really quick break to say that if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 214-431-5062. I'm talking to Holly Nasky. She is the coordinator for advanced academics at Irving Independent School District. So answer the question for people who say that we don't need gifted programs if we have AP programs. You hear that a lot, huh? I do get that a lot. Um, Sometimes AP is good enough for some kids, um, but sometimes they need AP 
that kind of coursework earlier than other students need it. Um, So like in Irving, we're self-contained. And so our kids get to those AP courses a year earlier than a student who's on the pre-AP or advanced academics track would. Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise, there's typically no differences. Um, AP is absolutely fabulous for meeting the intellectual needs of gifted kids. But even AP teachers need to differentiate for their gifted students mm-hmm. for social emotional issues, engagement, self-directed learning, which is not really part of the AP training for teachers. Okay. How much training is required? To teach AP, they require 30 hours of face-to-face training, mm-hmm. and then it's 30 hours of GT training. Okay. So if we have a new AP teacher, they're going to have to do 60 hours of training in the summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a heck of a lot it's two weeks <laughs> it's a heck of a lot when you need your summers huh yeah it yeah. is <laughs> but worthwhile for sure um how do we know if the gt program because they're so varied it sounds they like are. across the it's nation yeah how do you know if it's a quality program i think if you look at what the district is offering is it research-based practices Um, Is it meeting the needs social emotionally of kids? Um, I know some programs that focus way more on social emotional than necessarily academics and acceleration. Some focus on academics, acceleration and social emotional really nicely. Um, And so you have to ask, what are you doing? What is your service design? If it's pull out, what curriculum are you using? Um, What are they doing during pull out? Are they just doing their annual research project or there's other pieces that are going on? So how are they meeting the needs of those kids academically, socially, um, and then just teaching them how to be um, hardworking kids who can overcome failure? Right. And I guess also, how are they meeting the the needs of your specific child? Yeah. Does your child Mm -hmm. seem to be progressing and and flourishing in the program Mm -hmm. yeah so what are some of the special programs like chess club and Uh duke tip what i keep hearing about that what is duke tip that (laughs) are available to them sent all those names out um so duke tip um it's a program by duke university um it's sort of east to southeast southwest sort of johns hopkins has another one so everybody kind of had there's different ones around the states um and what they do is they look at kids who are scoring in the top five percentile um, whether it be state testing map testing all kinds of testing um and they look at uh how do we maximize those opportunities for those kids? And so one of the things that they offer is they offer the opportunity for a seventh grader to take a college entrance exam. Hmm. So to take an SAT, to take an ACT. And I always think it's really good to do around seventh grade because if you've ever taught seventh graders, they don't believe anything you say. <laughs> um, and they... They're really special. It's a special age for sure. But they see finally that they do not know everything Mm -hmm. and that they have lots to learn when they take one of those tests. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really 
It's the most interesting thing was that, you know, my son took it and came back and said, wow, I really don't know any Algebra 2. <laughs> I really am going to need to be in school for the yeah. next however many years. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really important. I don't know everything. Right. Yep. So you said it's for the top 5% uh-huh. in your district. That's just that's not just available to GT students then. So yeah, so Duke Tip is open to any student who's mm-hmm. performing in the top five percentile points. Okay. So and they have cutoff measures for Duke Tip. What are some other programs? Um, so they offer some summer programs like three, four weeks. Um, they have a program where they can apply for a scholarship to pay for some of those or a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're usually really expensive programs. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I've seen the cost of some of the programs. Um, but then they'll also do some weekend ones that are a little bit more um, nicer to the paycheck. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. your bank account doesn't cry. Mm-hmm. So um, they'll do some little day school opportunities. Um, I had a girlfriend who sent her son down to Rice, and they got to do research, uh, medical, biomedical research, and actually watch them work on a cadaver. Oh, wow. Like, really cool kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have decathlons. So, there's academic decathlons and academic competition. Um, some of my GT counterparts from around the area, they're in charge of their UIL academics or their academic decathlon. I'm not. That's handled by the social studies coordinator. Mm. Um, so it just depends on where somebody decided to put that. Um, Destination Imagination is another program. Uh, it's really big in Irving. We had about 96 teams last year. Um, but it is a creative problem-solving competition. Okay. It's really cool. So it's either technical, scientific, fine arts, service learning, improv, engineering, and kids develop a solution and they work on it all year until their regional tournament in February. And they do a central challenge and they do an instant challenge. Mm -hmm. And an instant challenge, they have like five minutes to do. And they score both of those together. It's a really great program. Yeah. Are these programs that are just available to GT students or could no any typical student, student, student any students. student could be in UIL academics mm-hmm. any student could be in destination imagination okay we also offer summer enrichment um, most of my counterparts do as well um, a camp called Camp Invention that's sponsored by the National Inventors Hall of Fame uh, and it's a really great hands-on awesome program for kids I love that. Let's talk a little bit about Twice Exceptional. Uh What is that? Well, there's a lot more talk about Twice Exceptional. Um, What that means is that you are gifted and you have some kind of disability or some other exceptionality. So you can be gifted and dyslexic. You can be gifted and autistic. You can be gifted and uh, learning disabled in a particular area. You can be gifted and emotionally disturbed. Okay. So any, you could be gifted and blind would be 2E. Okay. Gifted and emotionally disturbed. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. So So, um, we'll have kids who've gone through a lot of psychological evaluation and testing to determine, um, and a lot of it is their coping factors and things that they'll do. 
um, for them to determine that they have an emotional disturbance. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of this really general special ed term Uh uh, about what makes a child emotionally disturbed. Sometimes I think if you're gifted and labeled emotionally disturbed, that it could be part of that asynchronous development, Mm. right? So Mm. you're doing behaviors um, that would be too young for your age, and it's a real problem in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's probably normal for a child of a much younger age. So you you have to kind of look at asynchronous development, emotionally disturbed, Um, But we do have some kids who have severe depressive disorders. Mm -hmm. We have some kids who are ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. Um, As they get older, they're labeled bipolar, things like that. Mm -hmm. Can some 2E students go undiagnosed for a disability because their giftedness masks it? Yes. So there are probably kids who are sitting in a general education program who have neither been identified for a disability or gifted mm-hmm. because both of them have a tendency to mask each other. Right. So if you're dyslexic, you may not be reading well enough. So it doesn't really look like you're gifted, but you're still doing okay. So I'm not really seeing that you're dyslexic. Um, or if you have a math disability, you have enough coping skills and you're smart enough to figure out some workarounds. So you're still able to perform the math. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you address giftedness and a disability at the or a challenge at the same time? Well, so I think there's a natural propensity for us to focus on the gaps or the interventions that kids need. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of research in 2E. And one of the things they say is that you really have to make priority focusing on their giftedness and combining that with the interventions. Um, because you need to still fully be developing the child's giftedness while also addressing the intervention. So an example of that would be if you had a dyslexic child who is also gifted. One of the things that most of the gifted kids who are dyslexic that I have looked at is they have listening comprehension somewhere in the 95th percentile or higher. Hmm. So everything you say to them, everything they hear, they comprehend. Right. So if they're in a lang- gifted language class, being dyslexic is difficult. But if I could give them an audio book, mm-hmm. then they can keep up with the reading. They can keep up with the deep comprehension discussions. And it also helps their reading improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so what are some of the... What would you? What might you be seeing in a classroom of someone? Well, we talked about before that autism and giftedness kind of has some similar. Uh-huh. So talk about that. Some similar qualities. So overexcitabilities is kind of a common gifted understanding about gifted kids, mm-hmm. and they have sensitivity to sensory light and sounds, just like a child with autism spectrum disorder has. Um, and so they'll also have an extreme uh, emotional responses, just like a child with autism spectrum disorder has. And I think when you sort of start to delineate between, so is it autism spectrum disorder behaviors that we're seeing, or is it just gifted over excitabilities is when it impedes the learning Mm -hmm. is the emotional reaction. 
is the sensory, um, you know, oversensitivity, is that impacting their learning? Mm-hmm. And when it, when it is, that's when I think it's probably time to investigate whether or not that's autism spectrum disorder. But if it's not really impeding their learning, if it's just kind of who they are and sort of how they express themselves, but they they can go along to get along is what I usually say, then usually it's it's not something you would say would be autism because autism is a communication disorder. Mm -hmm. And when they have trouble communicating their wants, communicating their needs, it's not a gifted behavior anymore. Mm hmm. Where does talent fall into this? Like a, a, a giftedness in um, uh-huh. art or music or what happens in the school districts with that? So I think giftedness is like something that you have. It's your potential. Mm-hmm. And talent is what you develop. And so it's usually you'll see a lot of uh, districts call it gifted and talent development. Right. So um you can have an ability or an innate um, gift to do something, um, but it has to be developed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny because both my children are musicians and they'll be like, your kids are so talented. And I'm like, well, actually their father is a drummer. So they came with some of that natural ability, but the talent is what they've had to really work hard on and develop. Mm-hmm. Is there, are there programs to develop the, if you've got a gifted, if you're in the GT program mm-hmm. and you also have um, giftedness in art, let's say, is there stuff or is it just academic? So um, typically most districts serve academic, other districts serve enrichment. Um, there are schools for developing gifts and talents in fine arts, like the fine arts academies. Um, and we have one in Booker T. Washington in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those kids have to be talented before they get in there. Um, but I think it's still about developing that talent because I've known people who never took an art class in high school but had sort of this innate thing mm-hmm. and then started to work on it and develop it. And they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing illustrators, amazing, and it's not something they ever had formal training in. So mm. it's, I think it just depends. Yeah. How rigorous are these programs? Is there a chance for burnout? Is that something that you come across much? Typically, no. I I think if it's good, if it's providing what a gifted child needs. Um, and it's differentiating for where the child is at. I don't think you run the danger of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you run the danger of burnout in a classroom setting where the teacher says, okay, this is it, sink or swim. And nobody's scaffolding for you or anything like that. Um, and I think that does happen in some places. But, I mean, I think that happens in an AP course or a pre-AP course of right had it happen in a college course. So I think it just depends on, you can have a high level of expectation, but it's the teacher's instructional moves of how you get them there and support them to Mm -hmm. that level. Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts about this TED talk that I was talking about. Um, What ended up happening with this woman who's gifted and has the three gifted children is she noticed that they were not doing well socially in school. They felt like they didn't fit in. They were Mm 
um, probably bored a little bit. Uh And um, she said that she felt a responsibility to take them out of school. They hated school. They'd call her from the bathroom and say, come get me and (laughs) things like that. And so they ended up, she ended up pulling them for a year and just let them be. And you mentioned one of the kids, um, we, um, uh, put put his computer together and took it apart three times and they just kind of hung out and did whatever they wanted to do for an entire year she called it de-schooling and then uh, now they're in a gifted and talented school and they're faring well but what what are your thoughts about doing something like that <sighs> and you work in a school district so I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, You know, I always think that parents are their child's best advocate. Mm -hmm. And so if the kids were not faring well in that environment, and I've seen kids kind of flounder um, just in the school setting. Um, Most districts have a whole school dedicated to kids who the traditional school program Mm. didn't work for. And when I train those teachers, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I realize probably all your kids are probably unidentified gifted friends. Um, in one way or another, school, the format, the institution sometimes doesn't work for a particular kid. Mm-hmm. And it could be the teacher, could be that they have a teacher who's um, newer, not as trained. Um, but socially and emotionally, it's always going to be hard for a more introverted, quirky kid. And it's sort of this sort of acceptance of self. So and I really think that giving them that year off really gave them that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they've got to kind of have their thing. And that's one of the things that I always tell parents is like, help your kid find their thing. Don't let them be these kids who sit around and play video games or just, you know, run amok. Like they've got to have some kind of outlet Um, I have a dancer at my house and that is like her, that's her happy place. Mm -hmm. And I think all kids need that. So she let them have it for a whole year. (laughs) Yeah. And I I like what you said. You've got to know your kid and -hmm. you've got to advocate for your kid um, and figure out what it is that works for your family and for your students so that they are um, um, flourishing Mm -hmm. and um, getting what it is that they need. Yeah. I mean, in that case, it totally worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some kids who were homeschooled and they were doing great academically, but not socially. A lot of complaints about bullying. And it was really just some socially awkward situations. Mm-hmm. And when they come back, they're really a year behind right. where they needed to be, mm-hmm. you know, or where they could have been. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to be careful, I think, as a parent when you make those decisions. And if socially they're having issues, what is it that's the cause or the root cause of the social issues? Mm-hmm. So, and are the teachers doing any of that? I mean, I used to have a class that there were a lot of social issues. We had a family meeting just about once a week to kind of talk through all of those. Mm-hmm. Or I would read a book called Bibliotherapy that you use with gifted kids that kind of has a similar situation mm-hmm. to kind of talk about what would have been a better way to handle that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, We always do want to let you guys know what's going on uh, with Noggin. So school days, 
has been nominated for two Sharky Awards this year. We're nominated for Blue Bowl, Best Show of the Year, and Best Female Host. So thank you guys so much for that. And we would love to win, but we can't do it without you. So head to schooldaysshow.com and cast your vote. Next week, we'll play an encore episode of School Days that you won't want to miss. A few months ago, David and I sat down with Emily Benning, who's a licensed professional, professional counselor and expert in sleep health. If you and your family aren't in the habit of getting a good night's sleep, this is the one will be eye-opening. See what I did there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so trust me, you're going to want to tune in for that. Make sure that you and your parent friends know about that. So as always, head to our website called, uh, that's schooldaysshow.com for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss this show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. And also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And do you YouTube? You can find episodes of school days and other videos featuring the fun educational programs we offer on our YouTube channel. Just search for Noggin Educational Foundation. And last, but always not least, we want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, feel free to email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. You guys have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.